Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Over the last 11 weeks, and that's really hard to believe to say that that way, the last 11 weeks, we've discussed a lot about, in this series, Unstoppable Church, about how the early church was able to grow and thrive. We've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the bold desire of the early apostles to share Jesus. We've talked about the strong collective nature of the early community and much, much more. There's been a lot of things that we've talked about the last several weeks. We've also touched on their resilience, on their desire to keep going. And it's very important as we talk about a church that is designed and built with a vision to send people out. Because it's very easy to quit. It's even easier just to slow down and kind of find that middle place that I believe is very, very dangerous. But these are the things that we need to be paying attention to regarding the mission and the vision of our church here. So the early apostles were unwilling to compromise, unwilling to shy away, and most importantly, they were unwilling to stop. Despite the persecution, despite the spiritual warfare, despite not being able to have a lot of the things in life that they would like to be able to have, there was this resilience about them that I want to talk to you guys about today that is so important in the life of a follower of Jesus. So here is the big question that I think that we really need to ask and think about today. Why don't they stop? Why should they continue? And a lot of you in here will say, well, that's very simple because they're Christians, they're believers, they, they understand what they're supposed to be doing. But you guys have also not experienced the kinds of persecution and the kinds of difficulty, some of which we're going to read about today, that they're actually going through. Their lives are literally, not, not metaphorically, literally in danger. Okay, maybe that's fine for some people. The lives of their children are in danger. Everything hangs on this following Jesus. So why don't they stop? Or why should they continue? Simply put, they were living on mission. They understood their lives as, as being greater than a summer vacation. They understood their lives as being greater than the nine to five and raising their kids and making sure their kids go to the best schools and have the best opportunities and all those kinds of things. They are living their lives on mission and your life is lived on mission or off mission. And please don't confuse, okay, well, I'm part of Believer's Church, or I'm part of another church, I try to watch a live stream, I try to do a devotion here and there, I try to be a good person, as being on mission. We're talking about a radically different way 
of living our lives. They wanted to see people from every background in antiquity, in the ancient world, one to the exclusive allegiance of Jesus. So you may think that relativism is big in society or around the world today. And what we're talking about with relativism is this idea that, well, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. You know, there might be a slight variation in the way that I see spirituality or Christianity than the way that you see it. Your denomination's quite a bit different than mine, but we see things differently. And then on the other side of the world, people believe something completely different, and that's all okay. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. All rivers lead to one truth, and everything's okay as long as a person believes something enough. There's probably truth there. There is not one universal concrete truth. That's the belief. You may feel that this kind of thinking is a a, a production of or an invention of postmodern enlightenment, which means that this idea would be relatively new, but you would be wrong about this because this has been heavily practiced in the polytheistic or the belief in many gods in the first century. People are believing all kinds of different things very, very, very early on. But make no mistake about it. These early followers were preaching Jesus as the way and hoping and living for a response to this message. It was bold, it was gritty, and it worked. It worked. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 today. I can't believe we're in week 12 and only made it to Acts chapter 5. But we're finishing up Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17 through 32. I'm sorry, 33. And then we're going to skip ahead and finish out the chapter with verses 40 through 42. So Acts chapter 5, if you do want to turn up there, otherwise you can look on the screen, your phone, however it is that you want to do it. But I want to encourage, and I'm seeing more and more of this, for you to bring a copy of this. There's something about having this that is incredibly valuable in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, we'll be more than happy to make sure you have one. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 33, and then verses 40 through 42. This is coming after Solomon's porch, what we talked about last week with hope whenever whenever the message is spreading, and they're even starting to gain a better reputation uh, by a lot of people. So this is what the passage says. The high priest, together with his allies, the Sadducees, were overcome with jealousy. And they're overcome with jealousy because these Jesus followers are really starting to see movement. They're really starting to see change. They seized the apostles and made a public show of putting them in prison. They used them as an example, so to speak. An angel from the Lord opened the prison doors during the night and led them out. The angels told them, go take your place in the temple and tell the people everything about this new life. Early in the morning, they went into the temple, as they had been told, and they began to teach. When the high priest and his colleagues gathered and convened the Jerusalem council, that is, the full assembly of Israel's elders, they sent word word to the prison to have the apostles brought to them. However, the guards didn't find them in the prison. They returned and reported, we found the prison locked and well secured with guards standing at the doors. But when we opened the doors, we found no one inside. When they received this news, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were baffled and wondered what might be happening. 
Just then, someone arrived and announced, Look, the people that you put in prison are standing in the temple, teaching the people. Again, it's happening again. Then the captain left with his guards and brought the apostles back. They didn't use force because they were afraid the people would stone them. This is a little bit of the influence that they're starting to gain. The apostles were brought before the council where the high priest confronted them. In no uncertain terms, we demanded that you not teach in this name. And look at you. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're determined to, hold us, determined to hold us responsible for this man's death. They're talking about Jesus, the death of Jesus. You're trying to make us responsible for this. Peter and the apostles replied in so much boldness. And I want you to think about your own life. We obey God rather than humans. The God of our ancestors, ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. So we're blaming you again. We're going to let you know again that this is your, your responsibility. God has exalted Jesus to his right side as a leader and savior so that he could, he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and define forgiveness of sins. This is them evangelizing again, sharing the gospel. We are witnesses of such things as the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When the council members heard this, they became furious and wanted to kill the apostles. Now let's skip to the end of the chapter, verse 40, and look at 40, 41, and 42. After calling the apostles back, they had them beaten. They, and the apostles at this point, they kind of know that's coming. They had ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the council rejoicing because they had been regarded as worthy to suffer disgrace for the sake of his name. Every day they continued to teach. They're not quick learners. Every day they continued to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christos or the Messiah, both in the temple and also in the houses. So Peter and John are not mindful of their summer vacation. They're not in the process of planning for retirement. They are living out this bold, activated faith in which anything can happen. And the reason that it's so important that we talk about this today is because we found this middle place of Christianity in which we believe that we can go to church, we can perform, we can give a certain persona, and that is the most that is ever going to be expected of us. I want you to understand, even though we don't live in a country that faces this kind of persecution in this way, that we are so far removed as believers from where they are. And I hope that this gives you a spirit of conviction in your heart. I hope that you understand that your, your daily routine... And the things that you do apart from Jesus, and Sunday just happens to be this place. Have you ever been challenged in your life in which you've really had to lose things? In which things have been taken from you? In which your marriage has dissolved, or the job didn't work out, or you felt called to leave an area geographically because God was working in your heart? Some of us would say, no. Try to come to church on Sundays. I'm there, I'm there two or three Sundays a month. Try to give when we have a little bit left over. 
you know, we're thinking about a, a community group. I have the Bible app. I'll give it my five minutes a day. I'll make sure that I look over everything. And that is as far as we go. And what I'm trying to point out to you today, if you've called upon the name of Jesus as Lord, that nothing else matters. And that what you do as a career, and how you parent, and the other relationships in your life must flow from this place. And they understood that. But this, what this requires on your part, and what this required on their part, was constantly showing up. And they understood that. So notice this reality of divine intervention. There's this reality of divine intervention that whenever you step into a difficult place in your spiritual life, which you are going to be called. I just have to say this. I have to stop for just a minute. Don't you get tired of being in the middle? Don't you get tired of hearing things preached or taught one way at this church? But these areas of comfort in your life, you choose to hold on to, and you're going to carry. Some of you are going to carry these things to the grave. And only in that moment will you see what your life actually could have been. What it could have been. If you would have given everything, if you would have made the decision with everything in my life, I am turning it over to Jesus. And you can do that today. Verses 19 and 20 say this, an angel from the Lord opened the prison doors during the night and led them out. You see, they knew they weren't going to be in that prison for very long. It led them out. The angel told them, God, take your, God says, take your place at the temple and tell the people everything about this new life. And I love that statement. Have you ever heard it whispered in your ear by the Spirit? Don't simply invite them to church. Don't simply tell them that life can be better, but tell them about the new life. Tell them about all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the fear and all of the weirdness and all those things that they've carried can be completely wiped away can be completely washed away. The forgiveness of sins, the blood of Jesus can cleanse and change everything in a person's life. As we say, well, I tried to make it to church last Sunday. Tried to serve. I tried to help that person. We're talking about the boldness, the gritty nature of turning everything over. Otherwise, this doesn't work. Otherwise, we're playing church like 75% or more of the churches in this county. We're showing up, we're seeing some friends, we're drinking some coffee, we're talking, and then we go right back in to where we were. Notice the angel doesn't simply aid the release from prison. The angel instructs them to keep, instructs them to keep showing up. Don't stop. And a message I have for some of you that are here today, and I don't know who, but maybe because of doubt, maybe because your life hasn't worked out the way that you thought it should, maybe some of the problems and the circumstances just feel like they're too much, and you're ready to step back, or you're ready to quit. And the message that I have for you today, based on the lives of Peter and John, don't Stop. And this is really what Jesus is saying to us today. I have freed you 
from impossible circumstances. And I know that some of you don't understand that. But you see, some of us can recognize in our own lives that on our own, we are very, very, very messed up people. We have bad motivations. We're selfish. We get angry very easily. For some of you, it's been issues with addiction. For some of you, it's issues with lust. For some of you, it's these things that just hurt your marriage or hurt your parenting or hurt all of these other things. And I am more scared of those things and that mat than I am the cost of following Christ. And that is the place that you have to find. I'm trying to tell us today that there is not another way. Stop believing the lie that there is some middle ground or middle place in which you can comfortly tuck yourself into an environment and believe it's Jesus. You see, the way I see it, we have two alternatives. There are two ways that we can look at this life. And Peter and John understand this. The angel is directing them in this way. And here's the first one. Attempt to guide our own lives and see how this works out. And this is where most people are. In fact, this is where the majority of the church is. We don't have a real understanding of what the church is supposed to be. So I'm going to try to direct my life. And some people are going to sprinkle some God in. All right, they're going to sprinkle some prayer in. Uh, believing that prayer is just like, like God is your psychologist to talk to things about. When prayer is transformational, it's something that changes you every time you go to God. And it's, yes, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Yes, God, I'm going to go where you've called me to go. I'm going to be what you've called me to be. This is scary. I know it may be a pay cut. I know it may, we have, may have to move. I know it means I may have to make some different decisions as far as parenting. But I'm willing to do that. I'm open to that. And I wonder, I wonder if our hearts are really in that place in which beyond Sunday... We're making the decision to turn this into a lifestyle in every area of our lives. It is impossible for followers of Jesus to do this, to just decide we're going to throw Jesus in. When we do this, and some of you know this from experience, things constantly, constantly blow up in your face. They constantly blow up in yourself, and you are absolutely miserable. And I can tell you this, I ran for 12 years. 12 years I tried to get away from God. I tried to smoke God away, drink God away, snort God away, distract God away, travel God away, and God continually pursued me. You don't get both. You get Jesus or you get your way. And I think that we have dampened down the radical nature of what this life is supposed to be and what two men that are literally going to prison for the gospel are able to see. The only one thing happened when I continued to walk away. My incompleteness as a person was revealed over and over and over again, and rebellious. I tried to fight it. It's my desire, if it be one person in here today that has accepted Christ, 
that has made the decision to follow Jesus, that whenever they leave this place today, they're going to stop playing the games. They know the things that are going to make them slip back. They know the struggles that they have. But they're going to be willing to reach out to someone in this church, someone in their community group, me, through text, messenger, whatever it might be, and say, Matt, I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to pursue Jesus with everything in me because I am miserable. I am miserable without him. So the other alternative, the first one again is this, attempt to guide your own life, see how that works out. Some of you are in that place right now. And the other alternative, and this is Peter and John, is to go all in. Again, please do not believe the lie that there is some middle ground. Your life today is on mission or off mission. That's it. Those are your alternatives. Your life is lived pursuing Jesus, not knowing, often having no clue what tomorrow is going to hold. Or your life is off mission. And a lot of times off mission means going to church. A lot of times off mission means listening to your favorite preachers in a podcast or listening to your favorite worship music. A lot of times that looks really good on paper. But you're not pursuing Jesus and allowing him to have everything within you. The message that I have for you guys again today is don't stop. So a few questions that I want you to think about a few state and a few statements. Has the tide really turned in your heart? Has the tide really turned in your heart? Has there been a moment of complete clarity that you really cannot do it on your own? Has that happened? Has there been that moment? Listen, you're never going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. But have you surrendered your decisions? and your future over to the cross of Christ. And this is what I mean by that. Let's take a, take a job, for example. Well, the situation looks good. You know, I'd, I'd love to live on the coast in Florida. Pays good. Kind of don't want to leave my family. So I'm kind of trying to weigh everything out. Now, here's the difference. What does Jesus want me to do? Am I being called? To the mission field? Is God telling me that I need to serve the neighbors around me, the people in my community, and keep this job making, you know, $25,000 less a year because I'm planted here right now? This is the real stuff. This is where we are, and this is what it means to follow Jesus. And nothing else matters. Nothing else. Now, if God gives you that $25,000 a year job more on, on the beach, great. That happens. But a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't. And the question is, where do you stand in that situation? Have you embraced, have you embraced the real suffering that comes with this life? Because that's where a lot of people stop. 
I can't go through that. This is too much anxiety. This is too scary. I can't give up that income. I can't move. I can't give up this situation. There are all these things. Listen to me. Please hear this. Following Jesus makes no sense whatsoever. And whenever you do it, and the deeper you go, people are going to think you're crazier and crazier and crazier. And then whenever they see the fruit, they have nothing to say in that moment. Because God is that good. Where is your money? Let's not talk about that. Where is your time? Where are your real investments? Please don't believe that some affiliation with this church loosely or very strongly is the only thing in your life that is expected of you. Check out where John and uh, Peter are. Peter and John sense the call to obedience. And the same is for us. And the same is true for some of you that are in this room right now that are being called out to do something. Listen, this is not as complicated as God is calling you into pastoral ministry, sign up for seminary next week, move your family. I'm not even talking about those things. I'm talking about the obedience and the way you raise your kids. I'm talking about obedience and get away from the pornography that's destroying your marriage. Just the basic stuff first. And then God leads you further. It's obedience over and over again. The passage says, go take your place. This is the angel, so they're, they're out of jail now. All right, Go take your place at the temple and tell people everything about this new life. Early in the morning, they didn't waste any time. It didn't say in the afternoon, four days later, six months later, delayed obedience is disobedience. Early in the morning, they had went to the temple as they had been told and began to teach. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than humans. We know you want us to stop. We know it's mess messing up your nice little religious arrangement, but we have to obey God. We've been called by something greater than our job or a paycheck. We've been called by greater than something in culture that's influencing us. We must obey God rather than humans every day, not two days a week, not just on Sundays. Every day they continue to teach and to proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ, both in the temple and also in the houses. I can remember at 38 years old, selling our dream home in Kentucky. Wasn't a, wasn't a big home. It was in a nice neighborhood. But it was a house that we both loved and agreed upon. That's a dream home for a couple, by the way. When you agree, after you've been looking at homes for three years, that's a dream home. Dream home. If it's a shack on the side of the road you agree on, that's a dream home. We had agreed about it. We lived there just a little over five years. I thought we would retire there. I thought I would be at Destination Community Church until the time that I retired, and then eventually we'd move somewhere else. This, this home was five minutes from the college that I teach at and five minutes from the church that I was past. I rode my bike. It was a perfect situation. I thought, God has blessed me with this church and, 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 and this situation. And then all of a sudden, move back to Tennessee? I didn't have a preaching job. I'm online while Beth is suffering immensely 
with, with darker depression than a lot of people ever see. And I'm looking online at, at the college for jobs as like a corrections officer and stuff that just happened to fall into the degrees that, that, that I have, not even knowing if I'm going to have a church whenever I move back to Tennessee, which I did not want to do. We sell our house in nine days. That was a God thing in the middle of the winter. My family of five is then tucked into this small apartment during a four-month COVID lockdown. Five of us all crammed into this, this apartment. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why, why do you want to destroy me? Now, this is real talk. I felt jealous about the accomplishments of people my age and people younger than me. I worried and felt prideful that I was not going to be able to provide for my family. And that my kids were not going to be able to have the lives that they were used to. I went from feeling like an important pastor which is probably sin, or a valued pastor to an unwanted pastor. I went to therapy. I had a life coach, which is the silliest name ever. I was talking to this therapist one time, and she said, you know what I do when I want to relax? Please tell me, I'm not relaxed. She said, I get a kayak. And I go out and I get on the water and I forget everything. And here Beth's struggling. I've got two little babies and I felt like grabbing her by the throat and saying, when do I have time to get out on a kayak on a lake? I'm having a nervous breakdown. I didn't go back. <laughs> there was this voice through this whole thing over and over. Don't stop. Keep going. Don't stop. I heard it as if an angel unlocked and opened a prison door. Don't stop. This is going to make sense. It doesn't make sense right now, but you don't have any other alternative. Everything in my life felt like it was crashing to the ground. And God said, don't stop. Peter and John have been transformed by the blood of Jesus. And this Peter and John kept showing up over and over and over again. The gospel is spread because they continue to show up. You know, for years of my life, and this was primarily because of alcohol, for years of my life, I didn't show up. I had a friend, a filmmaker, and he didn't have much of a budget for his film. And he was asking if I would help him the next day on a, on a very important project. I was so hungover and sick, I didn't even show up. I completely let him down. Had another friend, I was in his wedding about a year or two after this. In his wedding, got hammered the night before, called him and told him I wasn't going to be there. In his wedding. To say that I was not dependable for many years and that the person that you see up would, would be a complete understatement. 
but later in life, by the grace of God, and transformation on the inside. Not behavior modification. Not Matt becomes a good boy. Not Matt's getting older, so he's starting to learn some things in life. Because of inner transformation that happened within me, I started learning how to show up. And I've not stopped, and I never will. Had a new stepdaughter. Wasn't very good at that at all at first. She saw some things that she shouldn't have seen. Made the decision that I wasn't going to stop. I had two babies, biological children, come into the world. When Levi came in, Beth was going through a horrible, horrible mental crash. And when she needed me, I showed up every single time. When God called me back into pastoral ministry, I showed up. And I've been showing up ever since. And I'm going to continue to show up. There is no, no amount of doubt, doubt, no sense of darkness, no fear, no crippling anxiety in which I'm willing to go back to where I was because God is that good. In a few weeks, we're going to study a, a powerful conversion in the life of a man named Saul, a lot of you have heard of him, who is eventually going to be a man uh, named Paul. And he's going to write this eventually in a letter, most important theological treatise of all time called Romans. And this is what he writes. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire is for Israel's salvation. This is life on mission. This is what it means. I'm living my life for this. Nothing else matters. You think, well, don't you, doesn't your marriage matter? Don't your kids matter? Don't your, doesn't your work matter? You get this part right, everything else is going to be right. You get that part right. You get living on mission right, and your family is going to follow, support, and love you. You're going to be a completely new person. The question is, are you open to hearing this, are you open to living on mission? Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire for Israel's salvation. But how can they call on someone they have no faith in? How can they have faith in someone they haven't heard of? And how can they hear without a preacher or someone who proclaims? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And that's why we're constantly talking about sending people out and planting churches. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the good news. It's gritty, it's bold, and it comes through a lifestyle that is committed every single day of the week. I, I, I've become very frustrated, I get angry, I think about the things that we gave up with money and with travel and in our lives before a ministry. And I think about the horrible crashes that have happened since that time. But it's like there's this whisper at all times. Don't stop. Keep going. Don't stop. But for some of you, this message does not ring clear because you've not started. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed, I first want to address uh, some of you that may be in here right now 
and you feel as if you haven't started. Maybe you've said that you're a Christian for years. Maybe you felt like that's a commitment that you had made at one time. But like life on mission, radical obedience, unwavering discipleship, this life that Peter and John are living, this truth that they're spreading, that's, that's never been something that's been there. That's never been something that you've been motivated toward or pushed toward. And you're recognizing now, uh, maybe I've never accepted Jesus. Maybe this is not something that's in my heart. Maybe this is not something that I'm full of. And maybe it is this super casual thing in my life. It's, an, it's, a, it's a church I go to. It's an occasional Facebook post. It's, it's, it's a, you know, a hashtag blessed when something, well ha- something good happens. But it doesn't go beyond that. And if that's you in this, here in this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and I can promise you, if that's you, God is speaking to your heart right now. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and will forgive you of your sins, and you're ready today to start living your life on mission, You can simply repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that without you, I have nothing. Forgive me of my sins. I trust in your death and resurrection to change me. And from this day forward, it is my desire to follow you. Now again, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, would you simply lift your hand if you prayed that prayer this morning? Anyone in here this morning that prayed that prayer to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior? Anyone at all? Now there are some of you that are in here, and you know that you've accepted Jesus. But you're so caught up in American culture. You're so caught up in the, in the nine to five, in the politics, in the media, and sports, and everything that's going on around you in this rat race, that you understand that your life is not being lived on mission. And, and my heart this morning is that for those of you that are trying to exist in the middle, those of you that know you've accepted Jesus, but you need to say this morning, Jesus, you have all of me. I don't know what that looks like. It's scary. I don't know what the next step is. But I'm ready to turn everything over to you. This altar is going to be open for you this morning if that's you. But also if you're struggling with a particular sin, if you're struggling with your marriage, if there's one of these issues that we've talked about and you need to lay that down at the foot of the cross, I want to invite you up to do so as well. Father, we lift you up and we thank you. We praise you for your goodness, God. We thank you for the work that you're going to do, God, in the next few minutes, Father. The prayer of my heart is that the Holy Spirit meets us exactly where we are, and screams in our ear, you are not okay. God, if we're going to move forward, it has to be because people are, 
are living in to the power of obedience and the truth that you bring. Father, not as a bumper sticker and not as a t-shirt, but something that literally controls every single area of our existence. We lift you up and praise you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.